When when's the next time you're going into the studio? Um, not sure, but will there be an Oreo cookie in a box for me? Yes. Now people are complaining about Oreos. They're saying their inflation, they're cutting back on the creamy filling. But I will make sure the next time you're in the studio, you let me know and okay. I will have an Oreo waiting for you. But that but was only excellent. but only uh, only Elliot send me one because I promised myself a bikini next summer and damn it, I'm going to wear a bikini okay. next summer. So just one Oreo. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to send you 5 because that's not what I want to see. 32 thoughts. Welcome to it once again brought to you by the GMC Sierra HD Merrick Friedman. And old Dom Shramati. I don't know what nickname is going to stick here eventually, Elliot, but for right now, for the next five minutes, I'm going with old Dom. we got a lot to get to today. we got to put a wrap on the Global Series in Stockholm. Uh, it's Thanksgiving this week, and Elliot, you know what that means. Means not eat the ribs. Uh, we're going to talk about a number of different teams. Well, it's, it's not try the ribs. It's Well, it means uh, are you in or are you out? It's try the turkey. Uh, so we'll get there. We'll talk about... Uh, try the, the turducken. We'll get to the Calgary Flames and specifically Michael Backlund. We'll get to a, a goalie hunt that continues in Edmonton. And we'll get to issues involving the All-Star Weekend, the World Cup as well. But... We should probably begin with the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are now winless in nine. Patrick Laine, Sunday, scratched against the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll get to the Flyers in a couple of seconds here. Um, Damon Severson left that game, by the way, with an upper body injury. They went 11-7, and seven, so they were okay. On the back end, there was a pretty good scrap between Nick Deloria and Matthew Olivier, but the headline coming out of Columbus's 5-2 loss at the hands of the Philadelphia Flyers, is Patrick Laine scratched. Does something need to give here? So I went back and I watched a few of his shifts on Sunday because after the news got out that uh, he was not going to play, I, I sent a couple of notes and, and someone said to me, just before you make any comment, watch some of his shifts from the last couple of games. And, you know, there was one definitely on one of the on the 4-2 goal against Washington where he had a giveaway that led to the goal. And, you know, he's struggling. I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to defend that. I'm not going to say that Columbus is wrong for feeling that Patrick Lani is struggling. The thing I don't like about this one is I, I really think a benching should be the last resort. And if you're going to bench a player, and we have made this very clear, and Columbus has made this very clear, Pascal Vincent has the blessing of the organization to do this. We've seen it happen with players not being dressed. We've seen it happen with players sat during games. And you can't accuse them of picking on people who can't fight back. They've benched Lane and they've benched Goudreau. They have gone after their best players. The issue I had with the line A1 is not that he wasn't deserving of sitting, but the question I have for a team is, are you putting a player in the best position to succeed? And the one question I ask about line A here is, should you have put him for a few games on the wing before you benched him? Or took him out of, not benched, because they, they've in-game benched him before you took him out of the lineup. Now, you know, Pascal Vincent said all the right things. We want to get him to clear his head. It's a reset. He'll be back in the lineup. And, and they lost again, so you assume he'll be back in the lineup. And look, I don't think they're trying to humiliate Line. I don't believe that. 
but there's a difference between not trying to do it and the fact that the player is going to be humiliated. You know, Patrick Laine is a sensitive guy. It's going to hurt. Like, it would hurt anybody who would be sat out a game. Everybody knows you can spin it the best way you can, but anybody knows. And the, the critique I would have of this and the thing I would say is, wouldn't they have been better off to play him on the wing for a few games and then see, hey, now we have to sit him? And that is the question I have about the whole situation. How do you feel? Uh, I just wonder where this whole thing is heading here with line A. Because I'm with you on the, the scratching. And even though it might not be the intention, look, we're leading with this story. Any property that covers the NHL as opposed to a specific market is covering this story as probably their lead on Monday. Um, it is all the talk around Columbus. This is a tough weekend for Columbus. You know, they... Um, they lose on Sunday. Uh, they lose on Saturday to the Washington Capitals as well. You know, there was a, a brief glimmer of hope when Johnny Gaudreau scored um, in that game against the Washington Capitals. And then the Caps came back, hung on and and won 4-3. Um, I just, I've seen this one. I've seen this one so many different times, though, with scratchings of star players after benchings of star players. This isn't like we've lost a couple of games and the coach is angry and says, we're going to do something about this. And they, they shuffle out a couple of guys from the fourth line and that ought to do the trick. Like this is significant. This is an indication that we're not getting anywhere close to what we want for, from you. And I just wonder where this one is headed. And I don't know that this is as much an issue between the player and the coach as it is something that just got rolled into the general manager's office. Like benching is one thing. That's a coach issue. I've always felt that scratches like this are a manager issue. I, I don't I don't know if I agree with that. I don't in this day and age, I don't know if you I agree. You don't think with that it that. feels like this, I've I've gone as far as I can with this player. Now what are we gonna do? No, I, After I don't everything that Line no, A's been through I, I don't. Columbus. I don't Not even Line A specifically. No, you know what? Here's here's the thing I would say to that, and I would love to hear if if people who are, who are coaches and managers actually listen to this podcast. And I would be shocked if anybody with half a brain sometimes listens to this podcast. But if anybody who's a coach or a manager listens to this, most relationships are. The coach gets the choice of what ingredients to pick to put in the cake, but the manager gets to pick the ingredients. It's like Chopped, Jeff. Do you ever watch Chopped? I have watched Chopped, yes. So Gordon Ramsay and the other chefs, I'm sorry, I don't know what their names are. Have you watched Chopped? They give you the ingredients. <laughs> I've watched it. My wife watches it, so I've watched it. I actually think it's a really good show. Yeah. Um, they give you the ingredients and you've got to make whatever out of them, right? And I think that's the way it works in most cases. Now, the one thing I will concede that is a flaw in my argument is that I believe the most highly functional, best organizations, the coach does not embarrass the general manager and the general manager does not embarrass the coach. That if it's something like this, I, I would hope, and I think a good organization, the coach and the GM, the coach would go to the GM and say, I'm thinking of doing this, and they work on it together, okay? But I do think at the end of the day, 
in most functional organizations, the coach decides who plays. And that's the way I generally tend to hear it with an understanding that the the best organizations work through it together. The NHL is littered with coaches that have tried to do that before. You can well recall Steve Casper and Cam Neely and how well that worked out for the Boston Bruins. I know that's from generation upon generation ago that I'm drawing that example, but this one just feels to me like this is the, like this is Pascal Vincent with the nuclear option. Like we're out of ideas. The only idea we have is to put him in a suit. That feels like the nuclear option to me. And it's almost like just lobbing the decision over to the general manager. Not as if to say, I can't do anything here, but right now we need something, we need something different. Cause this this isn't working. And I think we're a better team. I agree with you tonight. on that. We're a better team tonight without him in the lineup. That's harsh. That's harsh. Here's where I veer from you. Again, I don't think it's wrong for a coach to say you need a night off. Okay? Because I believe if I was really bad at my job and a producer came to me and said, we're taking you off this. If I deserve it and I'm not performing, I am not immune from that kind of punishment. However... My issue with this is, would it not be better to say to Patrick Line, this center scenario doesn't work, we're putting you back to the wing. Now, if this was something of Line wasn't trying, or some, there's something Line was doing behind the scenes where his attitude was bad, that's a different thing. If your attitude is contributing to the problem, that's on you. But, you know, the one thing I give the credit to, to the reporters who were working on this, Jeff Swoboda, Aaron Porchline, they were kind of the, uh, the people here. They put, out, they put out Vincent's entire answer on social media. Like they, they provided the proper context. And I didn't get the impression that this is line A with a terrible attitude unless they're hiding it and not saying it. I got the impression that this is a player who's struggling and we need a reset. And okay, fine, but I, I think at the very least now, it, it's time to make Lani a winger again. You have to put players in position to succeed. At the end of the day, I think that's your responsibility as an organization. The player has to be put into position to succeed. You can never be looked at as an organization that say that you didn't try everything to make it work, especially a player that you've invested as much in, in terms of a trade and a salary as Patrick Line. Unless the decision to put him at center was that final Hail Mary pass, as if to say, it's not really working on the wing, much like, and I know there's a lot of revision, not revisionism, but people have short-term memories about Tage Thompson playing on the wing and how it was greeted when they moved him to center at training camp. We all thought, wow, this is a complete Hail Mary pass to try to make it work with Tage Thompson. And it did, and it worked spectacularly. It was a great move, but make no mistake about it, it was a Hail Mary pass. Did you not get the same vibe when they moved Patrick Liney to the middle? That this was, much like Buffalo with Tage Thompson, this was the Hail Mary pass for Patrick Liney with Columbus? Yeah, 
I don't disagree with you on this. But what's also Columbus looking for? They're looking for centers, right? So sometimes you try the unconventional. I don't think you should ever be penalized for trying the unconventional. No, all I'm saying is if the, if the thought process went, okay, it's not working on the wing, so we're going to try it in the middle here. And coincidentally, we're also looking for centers, so we're going to try this thing. And then it doesn't work at the center position. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised that the next move is have a seat and watch the game as opposed to just, well, we'll flip them back to the wing where it wasn't working already and we were having our challenges. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is it feels like yeah. this is the end. I don't know. I don't want to say it's the end of the road for Patrick Line in Columbus, but it's the end of a road. Numerous roads people right. walk down when they're in a, in a job. It's not the end, but it's a end of Patrick Line in Columbus. Does that make sense? That's how I feel. Yes, I, I, th- I, I, I look. I, I'm not going to argue with your opinion. That's your opinion, and I, and you're definitely in a point right now where something can't stay the same. Yeah. But you know, I'll tell you this: like Columbus right now, how many have they lost in a row? Eight, nine, oh seven, and two. You know, it's tough. This has been a really hard season for Columbus already. We already knew there was a lot on the line coming in. That's why they made the gamble for Babcock. That doesn't work. Doesn't even get to training camp. Um, they've now lost nine in a row. Uh, Goudreau has two points in those games. He's been benched. People have been benched. Um, you know, the organization, tough love is clearly a big part of, of who they are right now. And it's not a problem if it works, but you know, we talked about this on your radio show Friday and I've thought about it really all weekend. One of the concerns with all the benching they've been doing is it doesn't seem to work. You you know, you're hoping that players are going to get the message. The idea of benching someone is not to be punitive. The idea of benching someone is that they get the message and say, okay, I've got to be better, but we're not getting that impression. What we're getting the impression is there's just more and more benching. So now, now I think Columbus, I mean, they've been looking for a center for a while. I was making a few calls on Sunday and I think they've really stepped it up. I think they're really trying hard to find a center, but you can see that this is an organization that's coming to a crossroads. And and I don't know what that's going to mean, what changes it's going to mean, especially in season, but you can see it coming that um, this is an organization where one way or another changes are going to come. You know, one of the things that I've wondered about through all of this, through all the line A stuff and while well, previous, the, uh, the the Mike Babcock situation and the Johnny Gaudreau and all the losing and the question marks and the, the noise and the fire and all of it. There's one person that I think about through all of that on Columbus, and that's Adam Fentilli. Now, he's a really like he's a tough guy. He's mentally strong. Like he's a he's he's a really a, impressive young athlete. And I'm not going to go as far as to say, "Well, what kind of damage is being done to young Adam Fentilli putting him through this?" But there are organizations that until they sort out their own situation with their roster, they want to keep their star prospects away until they until they settle their team, until they settle their bench. And I'm not suggesting that I think Columbus is going to do anything to, to, to try to find a place uh, other than Columbus for Adam Fantilli to play. 
I just wonder about Fantilli through all of it. You know, I'll tell you this. I don't wonder about that kid at all. I yeah. don't. I think he's got an incredible attitude, an absolutely incredible attitude. I think that kid is wired the right way. Um, I, I Look, losing sucks. He's doing more losing now than he's done in a long time in Michigan. Th- this, this goes back to my first year covering sports on a day-to-day basis. Oh, and Jeff, you may have heard I covered the NBA. Oh, maybe Do you remember... <laughs> Do you remember who the rookie of the year was in the NBA in the Raptors' first season? Damon Stoudemire. It was Damon. Yes, excellent. Excellent. What do I win? Like, I want to say. Did I get a cookie? (laughs) Okay. I am going to send you an Oreo on Monday. (laughs) Oh, they're vegan. Uh, On Monday on radio. (laughs) Are you you doing the show from your house or are you doing it from the studio? I'm doing it from the broadcast empire that is my basement. When when's the next time you're going into the studio? Um, not sure, but will there be an Oreo cookie in a box for me? Yes. Now people are complaining about Oreos. They're saying they're inflation. They're cutting back on the creamy filling. But I will make sure the next time you're in the studio, you let me know, and okay. I will have an Oreo waiting for you. But that but was only, excellent. But only, uh, only Elliot, send me one because I promised myself a bikini next summer, and damn it, I'm going to wear a bikini okay. next summer. So just one. I'm Oreo. going to send you five because that's not what I want to see. Okay. Anyway, so. Damon Stoudemire was the rookie of the year. The first year the Raptors were in the NBA. I will never forget this. This was one of the, the, the days I really learned a lot about covering sports. So the Raptors early season schedule that year to give the team some momentum. They brought in a lot of really good teams in early. You know, the Houston Rockets were the defending champions. They brought them in early. Um, they brought in Seattle early. Gary Payton, a dream team player, was the point guard. They brought in Utah early. John Stockton, a dream team player. Payton and Stockton, both Hall of Famers. They they came in early. And they lost to Utah. They gave Utah a really good game. But Stoudemire got his ass kicked by John Stockton. And there was no shame in that. Stoudemire was a rookie and, and Stockton was a decade into a Hall of Fame career. And I remember at the end of the game, I, I went to interview Stoudemire in the dressing room and he was crushed. He was crushed. And the media finished talking to him and he sat there just like devastated. And there was a veteran player on the Raptors, a guy named Willie Anderson, like just like a, like just a great guy to deal with. He was, he was really somebody who taught me a lot about the NBA early. And he walked over to Stoudemire, and I was still around to see it. And he goes, what's wrong with you? And he goes, I have never had my ass kicked like that in my life. I have never had my ass kicked like that. And I'll never forget, like, Willie Anderson sat down next to him, and he told him about all the times in his rookie year, like, Hall of Famers kicked his ass. And he said that the best thing about it was he knew, he realized, he told Stoudemire, you will be a better player for this. And there's times you're going to look back at this and you're going to think what a great thing it was to face this guy at this level of his career. And it, cause it's going to, it's going to turn you into an all-star. And I think about that all the time. When I think about young players, Ken Hitchcock, who just went into the hall of fame, he talked about, remember Philly had a really horrible year before they went to the Stanley cup final in 2010, Mike Richards was getting his ass kicked 
by every good center in the Eastern Conference, like Matt Sundin, Saku Koivu. He talked about it, how every night he was getting his ass kicked by these guys. And Ken Hitchcock said to him, you will be a better player because this is happening to you now. And I think Fantilli, even though this sucks, I think he will be the same way. He, I think that kid has a great attitude. And I think that in the long run, he will be better off for this. And they shouldn't send him anywhere. And they won't send him anywhere. I don't think that's going to happen. But the long run, just everything I've heard about Fantilli, and I've heard some things about him privately, about the way he's handled things over the first couple of months, that is the last guy the Columbus Blue Jackets have to worry about. The last guy. And he's going to be just fine. I think the bigger concern, if it is a concern to Columbus, is how some of their veterans are going to handle this. Because, you know, Fantilli's still got 15 years ahead of him. Some of their veterans don't. And maybe that's what part of this is, to maybe get some of their veterans to say, you know, maybe I should be somewhere else. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. But Fantilli Jeff is the last guy I'm worried about. Last guy. Okay, so Columbus has now is now winless in nine, oh seven and two, as you point out. Meanwhile, the team that just played, the Philadelphia Flyers, as we approach the Thanksgiving break, find themselves in a playoff position. Five wins in Metropolitan a row. Division Champions twenty twenty four, Philadelphia <laughs> Flyers. Who called it? Uh, hold on. Who picked hold- that? Uh, well, I said that they I, I wondered if they were gonna be better than we thought and you know, you weren't very nice to me when I said that. So I'll just. Yeah, I know. I'm looking that. at, you know what? I'm looking at freezing cold takes right now. And I am laughing my head off because Montreal just won the Grey Cup. Yeah. And who freezing cold takes. Uh, just if you don't follow this account, you have to follow this oh, it's account. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's so got, good. it's got 650,000 followers. Guess who is right at the top of their page right now? Just guess. You? Someone we work with. No. You. No. No, it's not me. Although I should be for my Flyers take at the beginning of the year. <laughs> I don't know who is someone we work with. Arash Madani. Oh, noted CFL reporter. Absolutely. What because because uh, he's because he because he tweeted today that Cody Fajardo, who's the starting quarterback for the Alouettes, is he does not buy into him being a championship quarterback. If Montreal wins today, it'll have to be because of everyone else. And the guy just drove them down the field at the end of regulation and won the Grey Cup with 13 seconds left. So, you know, I'm glad it's not me, and I'm just really laughing that it's a rash. Like, I think it's very funny. Well, the Flyers now have won five games in a row. And find themselves yep. in a real nice spot in the, uh, the 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 still jump ball as I call it, Metropolitan Division in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I really like the Rangers, man. Oh, uh, Rangers! It's hard thing. not to like them, dude. You should. It is hard not to like what they've you done. You see what's going on with Panarin. You see what's Shosturkin is back now. It's oh boy. That was a great game, by the good. way, on Saturday. That Rangers uh, Rangers Devils game was. Was a fantastic hockey game. Just uh, great hockey. I, w- I want to get there because I want to ask you about Jack Hughes too. Let me uh, let, let's bracket that conversation for a second. Just just a thought on on like I'm not I'm not here to like rub your nose. I'm just curious like what you think about Philly right now and what we're seeing and how they're doing this. Like I think at the beginning of the season, I think we're all wondering, okay, how is Sean Couturier going to be? Is was uh, Joel Farabee going to have a better season um, than last year? What was going to happen with Travis Konechny? 
who, by the way, scored an absolutely gorgeous goal. What when you when you when you talk about like having nothing to shoot at but finding it, uh, scored a gorgeous goal against Columbus on on Sunday as well. Do you just have a a quick thought on what Philly's doing here? Because Elliot, the rebuild is over. They're buying come deadline, yeah. baby. <laughs> I tell them, Metro Metro Champions 2024. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know who I'm happy for. I, I'm happy for the Philly fans. That's number one. Like, like, like Philly's an important market. It's an important, important market. You want the Flyers to be relevant. They, it's the NHL is better when the Flyers matter, right? Same as Rangers. So, same as you know, Rangers. Same as Rangers. Same as Rangers. A thousand percent. The NHL is better when the Rangers matter. And you, you know what? I mean, they're playing hard. Um, everybody's getting roles. Uh, you know, they, they just look really good. They look really good. You know, one of the real good stories of the season, I think you mentioned Konechny, you mentioned Couturier. I think Sanheim has quietly been one of the the really good stories of the season. A guy who they try, like he's a St. Louis blue of Tory Walker. I'll get to Sean. I'm going to get to Sean Walker in a second because that's a special case. Um, but Travis Sanheim is the St. Louis Blue if Tory Krug says yes. Yep. So he's not even there. And Tory Krug says no. So Travis Sanheim's given a new lease on life. But one of the things I heard at the end of last year was Sanheim was kind of challenged a bit. You know, he said, they, I think they kind of told him, you know, you got the big deal, so we believe in you. Like, you earned this contract. And so are you going to come back next year and be, and I want to be very careful about how I say this, I don't think you have to justify the contract. Like, you've, you're given the contract. But what I think you have to do is justify the role that the contract means you have to take. And that's what I, they challenged Sanheim with, I heard. And to his credit, you know, he's he's been really good, really good. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit. And Walker is an interesting one because for the first time on Saturday, Jeff, I heard his name. And, and in a sense of what do you think Philly's going to do there? So I, I think he surprised Philly a little bit. I, I think they were hoping he could fill a role for them. I, I, he surprised them a bit with, I, I, don't, I don't like to say how much better he is than they realize because it's almost like a, an insult. It's kind of a backhanded compliment. But I think he's done that. I think they've kind of recognized, wow, we didn't realize what we had here. And now the question is going to be, do you keep him? Or do you move him? He's a UFA. And because teams are starting to watch him a bit and say, okay, if we're looking to add something, we better take a look at what we're getting here. But I also wonder if Philly's going to say, you know what? This might be a guy we want to keep. So, I mean, there's still time to figure this out. We don't have to go crazy with it. But for the first time on Saturday and just making my calls for the show – there was a little bit of, have you heard what Philly's doing with this guy? Okay, real quick. Let's do that Ranger-Devils game. Just a, a couple of notes on this one. Um, Jack Hughes returns, one goal, one assist. 
Um, Panarin with a pair of goals, 15 game point streak. Sorry, Roger Bear. Uh, leaving me in the dust at 14. Uh, Igor Shesterkin returns, 30 saves. Uh, Jack Hughes, by the way, jumps right back into the mix over 22 minutes of ice, 2240 uh, worth of worth of ice time. The Rangers five, the Devils three. The first meetup uh, since the playoffs last season. And another Truba hit. Rangers looking good. Truba on no check knocks him out of the game. Like clean that guy. You, you and Kevin, you and Kevin were talking about this on Hockey Night. It's a he's a unique player. There are not many guys that do this on a consistent basis. Truba does. And don't look now, but the Rangers, not only are they on top of the division, but they are 10-0-1 in their last 11 games. So first of all, the thing I like the most about the Rangers and the Devils is they don't like each other now. Like, you you can feel the hate growing. What causes hate? Playoffs. 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 And Playoffs. so they, they had that series last year. And and what did Shesterkin say? Well, did they win the Stanley Cup? No. You don't think every devil is aware of what Shesterkin said there? <laughs> of course. But, you know, good on him for saying it. Rangers, devils, meaningful, great for the NHL. Great for the NHL. And there's franchise players here on both sides. Hughes is a franchise player. Shesterkin is a franchise player. Panarin is a franchise player. And there are really good pieces around them. Those teams are going to be two, like two Rams in the wild, banging heads for mm-hmm. a decade. And you know who's the winner? Fans. The fans. I'll tell you this: the Rangers have sent word that you know. Are you one of those guys who keeps a list of who can win the Stanley Cup? If there's any doubt that the Rangers could win the Stanley Cup, it's over. They can win the Stanley Cup. Now, they might have some holes they have to deal with, depending on what the situation here is with Heedle. You know, Larry Brooks wrote last week that there's some concern about him. And, you know, first of all, I hope he's all right. He's been through a lot with head injuries. So the number one thing I care about is is his health. But if that's a hole they're going to have to plug, they will. But... You know, the Rangers can win the Stanley Cup. Let's get to some news. Uh, a couple of things, starting with uh, your report on Saturday about the World Cup, and we'll dovetail this with some some All-Star uh, All-Star weekend news on the, on the horizon. But World Cup first, how many teams? I think that's the big question remaining, Jeff. It sounds like it's going to be a week-long event, um, 2025 February. Um, I... I think there's still a hope that they can play some games overseas. I don't know how likely it is, but I've heard they haven't given up on the idea. Look, big success. Big success this past week. The the games in Sweden, all credit to the Swedish fans, all credit to the players. And I think that they want to continue that momentum. And the thing is, Jeff, is that I think the biggest question now is four teams or six. Russia, due to geopolitics they're not going to be there i think the nhl hoped to hold on as long as they could to see if that could work out it's not going to work out now so i heard the big debate is four or six if it's four i think it's canada usa and sweden finland and what i don't know but i suspect here is you have canada and the usa play here in north america probably in the states and you, you have Sweden, Finland, you try to work it out where they play 
in Sweden. Maybe, I don't know if you're doing two games total goals or if you're doing a best of three. I don't know what they're doing here. Uh, but you you play overseas and then you bring everybody to the Eastern United States for a championship game or whatever the format's going to be. Now, my personal preference, I think you leave out too many players. Um, you know, for example, I, I think it's important to have the Czechs there, you know, name the country, the Czech Republic, Germany, you know, the one real Slovakia. challenge here is Slovakia, obviously Denmark, you, you Switzerland, I'm inclusive. Uh, I, I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm just an inclusive guy, Jeff. I want everybody to feel welcome hmm. and involved. You know, I think this, they don't want to have the mishmash teams again. They don't want to have the team Europe and they don't want to have the team North America for the young players. I just worry if you don't do something like that, are you leaving too many players out? Now, one week just to get this ball rolling and get it started, they might say, hey, we're doing four and we're just going to build some momentum. I just worry about leaving like Leon Dreisaitl, Roman Yossi, these kinds of players not there. I want them to be involved in a best on best, but this might be bigger than that. So I don't know what the answer is, but I heard that's one of the things that they're talking about. All-Star, this year in Toronto, more details coming yes. soon, we believe? I think there's going to be there's some details this week. I, I believe there's going to be, a, like, All-Star is Friday and Saturday. I think they're going to add a third night. I, I, you know, obviously, what don't we know about yet? Women's participation. You know there's going to be women's participation. So I, I think that that still is to be determined. And I have heard rumors that the draft is coming back. Now, I don't Ooh. think it's going to be one well, guy well, left until the end. Oh, but I do think, come on. I think <laughs> I've heard there's some sort of way to sort this out at the end. I don't know what it is, but I did hear the draft is coming back. So it's not going to be buckled hockey players taking pictures of uh, the last man on the stage hanging like the last turkey at the shop. I, I, it could be buckled broadcasters. Like I'm all for that. If you know, if I'm allowed to do that show with a good glass of single malt, one ice cube, I think it could be great. Uh, I think that would add a little bit of spice. Absolutely. Um, and oh, oh, uh, I want to ask you about Calgary. Uh, you had an interesting note about yeah. Michael Backlund, captain of the Calgary Flames, yeah. trying to turn the volume down on things. Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly what the details were, but so everybody knows that Friday night, uh, Zadoro's agent, Dan Milstein, goes public with the trade request um, right after they play in Toronto, and it was a pretty chaotic few hours. So they, they play Friday in Toronto, they lose in overtime, they play Saturday in Ottawa, they lose, and they, they went to Montreal, they had a couple days off before they played. Now, I, I, I had been told that some of my details were not correct. Not what I said on the air, but as I was working on the story. Um, like, I, I'd heard they'd had a team meeting and Backlund had said, while they were in Montreal, and Backlund had said, guys, like, no more of this. Like, we have to play, no more noise. If you don't want to be here, let the GM know. And other than that, keep it quiet and let's focus. I'm not sure it was a full team meeting. It might have been uh, a private uh, kind of thing. Um, one-on-one -on -one conversations. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I know what happened. Um, he definitely made it very clear. You know, one of the things we talked about before the season was the feeling in, in, in Calgary that Backlund should have been the captain last year. And there was no captain, but now that he's been given the letter, 
Um, you know, some people have told me he's really embraced it. And it doesn't mean that you become a jerk or you become heavy handed. It, it just means you try to stop things before they happen, especially, you know, with a first year head coach. And, you know, I, I just heard that, you know, he 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 took the responsibility. He dealt with the players. He said, no more noise. And what did they do? They beat Montreal, they beat Vancouver, and they lose in a shootout to Islanders. They got five out of a possible six points. And, you know, is it is that all because Backlund does it? No, but I think a lot of it is because Backlund's just like calm the noise. So... Uh, you know, I, I think that's what he's tr- that's what he tried to do. You know, the Flames, I, I think they got a lot going on there. I I do. I think between Zadorov, between Tanev, between Hannafin, uh, I and someone said to me, you didn't mention Lindholm, but you should have Lindholm in there. Like, I, I think there's some teams at least talking to them about the possibility of Lindholm, who've been really struggling until he exploded against uh, Vancouver, but. You know, I, I do think there are some teams trying to push Calgary along here. And, you know, one of the things another GM said to me is that one of the challenges when you get a trade request, particularly when you're a new GM like Craig Conroy is, you have to send a message that we're not just going to do things because a player is going to ask for it. Because sometimes if that happens you become the team where agents can run roughshod over you that you, you don't, uh, you want to get out. Let's make a trade request and they'll get you out. Like there's, there's, it's, it's a really, yeah, I had a, I had a really good conversation with one manager about it, about, you know, just what a challenge that can be for you because you want, number one, you have to take the emotion out of it because number one, you're pissed off and you're like, Let's get this freaking guy out of here. Or you're pissed off and you say, you're going to play here for an extra month after I thought I was going to trade you to make you feel bad for doing that. So you have, first of all, you have to get to a point where you can take the emotion out of it. And second of all, you, you, you can't rush your judgment. And also you have to send a message that you're not going to let that happen all the time and people are going to be able to do it and get what they want. So I think there's all of that as part of it. I definitely think they have teams trying to move this along. And the other thing too is, I think also, you know, all these players, the four of them, Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov, and Lindholm, I bet you they could get better returns if extensions are involved. And I don't have the sense that as of Saturday when I reported it, that they'd given anyone permission but I did get the sense that some of these teams were saying, you know, we'd really like at least a window. Like sometimes you give a team a 24 to 48 hour window. Can you get a deal done? And I got the sense that some teams were talking about it. Like one thing I'm curious about, Toronto had a great weekend, four points in Sweden. They're going to come home and I, like, I, like they're going to be a player in this. I, th- I think, I think, um, I, I think Dallas is. I think they're looking for the best defenseman they can find. I, I don't know if this is going to happen with Vancouver, though I think they like a couple of these players. I do think the Islanders are around this. I've mentioned Arizona for Hannafin. Like, I think there's a few teams around this. Toronto's going to come home. Um, I still think they'd like to get their hands on one, if not two of them. So I think there are going to be options for Calgary here, Jeff. I, I just don't know the timetable. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, busy week for the Calgary Flames this week. Monday, a game against Seattle. Wednesday, Nashville. Then Friday, Saturday. How do you like this one, Elliot? Dallas and Colorado. Easy. So it's a a challenging week no for the problem. Calgary Flames. Yeah, easy. How about this? How about the schedule the rest of the months for the Edmonton Oilers? And I want to swing back to Tampa here in a second in that six to four game. Um, but the remainder of their schedule this month: Florida, Carolina, Washington this week, Anaheim. Vegas and Winnipeg next. That is a killer couple of weeks for the Oilers swinging back to Tampa on the weekend. A six to four loss. Um, no shame there. Tampa's an excellent team. Um, but as you reported Saturday, the hunt for a goaltender continues. But Edmonton wants to make sure that when they shake someone's hand on a deal, they don't miss a finger or two. So Montreal had a few games at home. And someone told me the Oilers were there to see all three Montreal goalies play. They saw them all. They saw Primo, they saw Montembeau, and they saw Allen. So now a couple of people warned me, don't assume it's going to happen, but they're de- but everybody noticed that they were watching them. And I think Allen is the least likely of the three. Montreal with Montembeau and Primo, I think they would like some clarity on Montembeau. We reported last week that they'd begun contract conversations with him. Uh, Montembeau admitted that when he was asked about a post game, there seemed to be optimism that it was going to get done, but I don't know where it stands. Like someone always reminds me, these things are not linear. They brought up the Hannafin again. Everybody thought it was done and then it wasn't done. But the one thing I always wonder about here, and this is what you know, I was talking about with a few people, is when you have three goalies like this, and I do think the Canadians are getting to a point where they want to have this end, I, I think how long are you willing to wait to see if those negotiations work out? Like, is it a month? Like, I don't think the Canadians want to let this hang for th- three months until the trade deadline. So I, I think the, the question becomes here is, is how long... Are the Canadians willing to wait for a yay or nay decision on Montembeau, or can we make a can we reach a deal here? But I I do think that those are two of the guys that Edmonton's looking at. I have been told again, just a reminder. There's one person who always says it to me, and I appreciate him for doing it. Says, remember, there are no trade clauses here, and Edmonton isn't winning right now. That makes their job much much more difficult, much more difficult. And so I think there's a situation there where, like, I really think the plan for the, for the Oilers, what they hoped is that Campbell would rediscover his game in the American Hockey League. That he would go down there, he'd play well, and they could bring him back up. That's not happening right now. And so the question becomes, you know, Skinner won three games in a row, you know, he, he didn't play great. That was a winnable game on Saturday. I wonder if the plan is going to become, we may not be able to go out and get, say, a John Gibson or a Jordan Bennington or someone like that, but is there someone we can get that can really help Skinner? And that's why I wonder about this Montembeau-Primo conversation or who else might ever be out there. Oh, and by the way, Jeff, one other thing I just wanted to mention, we talked about Toronto briefly. Yep. I, I would expect this week we might get some clarity on John Klingberg and and what his future is going to be. Mm-hmm. 
All right, you mentioned that on Saturday. We will stand by to see what happens this week. Uh, the Maple Leafs, uh, one of four teams involved in this year's edition of the Global Series, um, a big success. Uh, I want to park that conversation for a little bit later on in the podcast uh, after we get to the Montana's thought line. But before we get to our first break, Elliot, I want to get your thoughts on the Colorado Avalanche. Like that game against the Dallas Stars was, it was wild. It was 3 nothing Dallas, Tigers, Tyler Sagan pops in two. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I was having a conversation with someone this afternoon about that game who said the minute that Colorado got their Stanley Cup forecheck going, it was over for the Dallas Stars. Now, you mentioned that Dallas is looking uh, for the best available defenseman out there. That's no surprise. What could Colorado be looking for? I think, Jeff, they're looking for depth scoring. Now, when I told you that before the pod, you said they look pretty good to you on Saturday sure night. it is. Six goals uh, isn't enough. Jeez, Elliot. <laughs> but I, I think they are looking for it. You know, Lekkonen's father um, told a finished paper, it, it looks like a, a pretty significant injury. So, and, you know, he's obviously a very, very critical and important player for them. I, I think they're looking for depth scoring. Uh, I do. And I, I think they're... I think they're just a little worried right now. You know, you take a look at what you have to go through in the Western Conference. And I know Vegas just had a really rough uh, weekend uh, losing to the state of Pennsylvania. But they're still the best team top to bottom in terms of their depth. And and, and I just think Colorado looks at them right now and says in a seven-game series, we're going to have trouble matching up with them. So... That's what they're looking for. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. They make good deals, so I wouldn't be surprised if they go out to find it. We also should mention Patrick Kane here. I think Patrick Kane had 8 to 10 Zoom calls. I, I believe one of them was with Toronto. I know there was a crazy week this week about uh, Kane in Toronto. I do believe eventually they did talk, even though the Maple Leafs are stone silent on this one. Um, I, I don't think it's what they need, but I think they wanted to talk to him and he wanted to talk to them. Uh, I think we're getting closer here. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, you know, I, I wondered if it might be like a one times one kind of deal, but I'm not seeing that. I think there are some teams trying to convince Kane to do one-year deals and then see where it is, especially when the cap goes up next year. I'm just not convinced that he wants to do that. But what this was all about was fit, uh, conversation, um, you know, where do I go up and down the roster? What's the power play look like? You know, things like that. Um, you know, someone told me that... Um, it was much more likely east than west. Um, uh, but, you know, again, I mentioned the same few teams that go at him pretty hard. Florida's gone after him really hard. And, you know, to their credit, Florida this year has, has achieved much more than we thought. But their cap situation is really tight. Um, you know, there's still a lot of talk about Detroit and Buffalo. I mean, we'll see. But um, I, I think the list of teams that talk to him is much deeper than, you know, we kind of realize. To me, like you talk about Colorado wanting depth or like yeah. it makes sense. I just don't know if he thinks the Western Conference is best for him. Like we just saw Klingberg go overseas and have a real tough time adjusting to a long flight, right? Yeah. So I, I, I think people wonder about that with Kane too. And I think he does also. 
All right, we'll uh, we'll hit a break on that. Uh, still to come, we'll put a wrap on the uh, the NHL's global series in Stockholm. But coming up next is part of the Montana's thought line. Elliot, I had one of the most Jeff Merrick afternoons I've had in a long time. I'll explain what that means in a moment. Thirty two thoughts continues. Can I take the next segment off? <laughs> I just want to blow your mind. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Okay, welcome back to the program. I've been looking forward to this moment mm, pretty much all day, Elliot. So let's get to it. The Montana's thought line. Is this, Mon- the, is this the Philadelphia Columbus game? No, 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 no. This one's weirder. I had a really weird day. I had a really weird experience. I had a really weird text, voicemail, 32 thoughts, Montana's thought line thing happened to me today. And I, I've been waiting all day to share it with you and Dom. So here we go. Time now for the Montana's Thought Line. Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. <clears throat> Try the ribs. That was a very Bob McCowan-esque pause, by the way. You really let the gravity <laughs> of the silence really sink in there. Uh, 32 I, thoughts. I figured I had sport. to mix it up a bit, like Greg Maddox in his prime. <laughs> 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca is the email uh, by phone 1-833-311-3232. Last week, Elliot, you remember you and I had a conversation about Gaston Gingras? Yes. So he of the incredibly hard slap shot. So let's start here. We got a voicemail from someone in Montreal, Patrick, as a matter of fact, talking about Gaston Gingras. That's where this no story... Way. That's where this story begins. Let's hear it. Hey, Dom. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Elliot. Pat from Montreal here. So you guys were talking about Gaston Gingras last episode, and I had a a quick story about him. So he coached hockey at my um, high school many years ago. And one of the first practices, he's coaching uh, seven, eight graders, so about 13 years old. And uh, one of the goalies challenges him to take a slap shot on him as hard as he can. So at first, Gingras is saying, no, no, I can't do that. It's, uh, I don't want to hurt you, this and that. The goalie says, no, no, go ahead. I got my equipment. So Gingras lines up a puck at the blue line, hammers a slap shot into the kid's glove, broken wrist, without many weeks with, with a broken <laughs> wrist. So the stories are true. He does have a bomb. Anyways, just thought I'd share. Thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. Enjoy the puck. Okay. Okay, so I heard that this afternoon, Okay. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, at some point of the day, I'll sort of screen what we have for, for emails and for, for phoners. And I got that one. I'm like, oh, we got to play that one, Pat in Montreal, with, a, with an interesting story about Gaston Gingras' slap shot. So, no joke, Elliot, may, maybe, maybe 10 minutes after I listen to that voicemail, I get a text. I'm listening to 32 From? Thoughts right now. Uh, hang on. I'm getting there. Here's the text. I'm listening to 32 Thoughts right now, and you're talking about Gaston Gingras. I used to skate with him when I was a kid, and I made him take a slap shot on me once. 
And I'm thinking, oh man, could it have been the same goaltender that Pat in Montreal is no talking about? Way. Now the goaltender I'm talking about uh, is Cassidy Sove, who was a standout at Ohio State, at Clarkson, played with the PWHPA, the PHF. She's on the training camp roster for New York in the PWHL, U18 gold medalist, first female uh, to play net in the OHL Cup with the Whitby Wildcats. And she is, for a little bit of you know historical cred here, a distant relative of Georges Vesna, of the Vesna Trophy, Elliot. Of the, so the Vesna Vesnas. That's the Vesna Vesnas. And I said, hold a second here. Like, we just got a phone message from someone saying that there was a kid that made Gaston Gingras take a slap shot on them. And I went over the story and sent her the voice message from Pat. And she said, oh, yeah, that's totally me. She said that her dad grew up with Gaston Holy Gingras. Holy smokes. Her dad, hang on, dad grew up with, with Gaston Gingras. So her and her dad were buddies. They each knew each other through hockey, kind of a small town uh, Quebec vibe. And when she was younger, she said she lived in Saint Lazare, Quebec, and Gingras would come out to practice and work with the team. And he asked to take a slap shot on me as hard as he could. And I made the glove save. It was totally Elliot. Cassidy Sauve. And it was one of those weird days, Elliot, 10 minutes after I listened to that, I got a text from Sauve. Like this was fated to happen to me. On the, It was the most Jeff Merrick day of all time. Cassidy Sauve, Pat, that's what you're talking about. I feel like I'm in an episode of Doctor Strange. <laughs> anyway, I've been waiting all day to drop that on you and Dom. I've just been buzzing about it like all afternoon and all day. Like, okay, just got to get through the, the, the news part of the podcast. And we'll get to the Montana Thoughtline. I'll drop the story and their brains will go boom. And safe to say that. That is incredible. I love that story. That is, I, 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 you know, first of all, Merrick, I, I have to tell you, my mind, like my brain is, like Kramer said in Seinfeld, my brain is spinning like a top. Oh, I, so I am good. blown, like, because when you told us you had a wild story for us today, yeah. I actually thought it was going to be about Gore Dwyer the referee in the Philadelphia <laughs> Columbus game oh, he's saying we have a goal. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He, he didn't say premier, we have a good goal. We no, have a goal. Said, and I had to yes, tell you, yes. I had a <laughs> I had a an official send yeah. me a note after you tweeted at me and said that's the way it's supposed to be called and I just rolled my eyes at it. I had an official who said to me, "It is not inconceivable that an official heard you say that." Huh? A referee or a linesman heard you say mm. that and said we have to call it that way for Merrick. <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm not I'm saying just, it. I, I'm not saying it did happen, I, nah. but someone told me it could have happened. Just trying to clean up the language, clean up the grammar a little bit around the NHL. Try to class the place up. And listen, Gord Dwyer is, comme on dit en français, la première étoile, the first star of Sunday's action for calling it a goal. Not a good goal. A goal. This podcast beautiful. right now is like the Marvel <laughs> Universe. There are too many different dimensions and timelines to understand. People are wondering yeah, why all these Marvel movies yeah. are now tanking. It's because they yeah. are too hard to understand. My pea brain cannot comprehend <laughs> what is happening.
<laughs> okay. Okay, let's move on then. Let's just acknowledge that all those things just happened. Whether it was Cassidy Sauve and Gaston Gingras. I swear to God, my head's going to explode. And Gord Dwyer and all of it culminating here on the pod. And let's move on. So Jim in Vancouver submits this one. Uh, hey guys, love the pod. This week the Canucks played the Islanders and then departed after the game to Calgary, arriving late or early local time. They went on to lose the back-to-back games and looked tired doing so. My question is, is it mandatory in the CBA for teams to arrive the quote-unquote night before, check into a hotel, etc., versus flying in at some point in the morning? In other words, could the Canucks have gone home to their own beds after the Islanders game and then flown to Calgary in the morning? Is that a team or league decision? Thanks, Jim in Vancouver. The only times I know of where it can happen the other way is if you can bus. Uh, I know the Leafs have had situations before where they were playing in Buffalo where they bust in the morning. Um, I don't think, uh, unless you got special permission, I don't think you're allowed to do that. You know, for example, the Rangers and the Islanders and the Devils, it's pretty simple. But, for example, Toronto, which is easy travel, the only time I remember them not going in the day, the night before the game was when they could drive to Buffalo and it's like two hours. Gotcha. Uh, Jim in Vancouver, thanks for that one. Um, a couple more I want to fly through here. Ethan, uh, hey fellas, the recent retirement or what appears to be retirement of Nicholas Backstrom got me thinking. If a team was barely above the cap floor and a player with a large enough cap hit retired mid-season, what would the team have to do? Would they have to sign a free agent to keep an equivalent contract or would an exemption be made? Keep up the good work. Jeff, old Dom and new Dom. Pretty sure I'm not forgetting anyone. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, that's a great question. It's a great question, but why would the person retire? They're just like leaving money on the table. You're right. I, I would assume that they would just not play. Look, I would just, just for the purely theoretic answer, I would say you would have to sign someone. You can't be under the cap. So what, I, what I've always wondered about as well, you know, going along the, the, the same lines here of what, uh, what Ethan just wrote, um, what if a player has a max contract of 20%, 20% of the salary cap is a max you can take and you take it. And then the following season, or any season while you're under contract, the salary cap goes down. And now the number that you earn is actually higher than the 20%. Does your contract Oh, you get get a carve out. Yager, no, Yager had a carve out. That's right. Remember, first year of the uh, salary cap, he was over 20%. You get a carve out. Uh, Michael from London, England. Oh, I'm going to see if you like this or not. Hello, Jelly Dom. All the way from England. (laughs) I've combined all of your names into one. Jelly Dom. So my first question is, what do you give my new nickname out of 10? (laughs) My second question. Negative (laughs) six. My second question comes off the back of a discussion I had with a friend in which I stated that my height of five feet, eight inches, killed my athletic potential. So along a similar theme, who is the smallest ever netminder to have success at the NHL level and how how tall were they? 
Jeff definitely knows this. Hmm. This is an easy one. Uh, thanks for all the amazing information for someone far away who's trying to grow their knowledge of the game. Thanks to you, trying the ribs in Montana's is literally on my to-do list upon my next trip to Toronto. Michael in London, England. The smallest was Roy Welcome Waters. to hockey. Yes, yes. And the smallest goal. You know what his was nickname was? Shrimp. That's right. He and was there's a good reason. Three. You cannot call that you cannot call that false advertising. No. Five foot three, although sixty-six shutouts, uh, played twelve seasons with the Montreal Canadiens, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the New York Americans when they were run by someone from the how shall we say, legitimate businessman's association, Elliot's. Uh, he was also the first goaltender to win the Hart Trophy. And he also won the Vesna. Yes. He's a Hall of Famer. And he was a captain. Years before Vancouver tried to do it with Roberto Luongo, they did it with Roy Shrimp Warders. Although when we talk about small netminders, Elliot, you know I have a soft spot in my heart for Gump Worsley. Uh, five foot seven, four Stanley Cups, Vesna. First goaltender to win 300 and lose 300. And for my money is penned the best hockey book I've ever read called They Called Me Gump. Um, honorable mentions, Darren Pang, certainly Charlie Hodge. He of the two Vesnas as well. Those are some of the ones that come to mind. But I know that there is the exceptions and the obvious one is UC Saros. And listen, Alex, Alex Nadalkovich is playing pretty well uh, right now for the yes. Pittsburgh Penguins. But one of the things that I was told by a, a longtime goalie instructor about why the default to big goaltenders is, he said, look, it's simple. Um, when you have a big goaltender, they can make accidental saves. When you're a small goaltender, you have to make real saves on every shot. Sometimes a big goalie just makes a save because he's big. And it's a luxury having a goalie that can make accidental saves. And although there are the UC Saros's out there, I don't know that the, the tide is turning back to small goaltenders anytime soon for each. No, no, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I agree with you. Okay, voicemail time. We'll finish up with Dan from Long Island, Elliot. Um, quick question about your opinions on the flat caps uh, impact on the firing of coaches. Obviously, teams are faced with a choice, much like the Oilers and probably the Islanders pretty soon, in terms of either getting rid of some core players or firing a coach. And with some immovable contracts and teams not able to take them on, I wonder if more coaches are getting axed because of that. Thanks for all your hard work. Great question. Great question. Great question. Elliot? I, I don't know if I'm I'm buying that so much. Um Look, there's been one coach fired this year. We could see more. I think that coach was fired because of a unique circumstance where they just could not afford not to turn around the season just because of keeping Dreisaitl and McDavid happy. They they could not afford a losing season. I, I think if, if McDavid and Dreisaitl still had years left in their uh, contracts, then I'm not sure that this would have occurred. But... That doesn't really answer the question. What I do think has happened, and again, it doesn't really answer the question, but I, I think it's relevant to the topic. I think you are seeing teams go really hard on term for coaches. So Todd McClellan, I think, has done a real nice job in L.A. He was headed into the last year, and I think he got, and he got a one-year extension. Chris Knobloch, who was just hired in 
uh, Edmonton, he got this year plus two more. Look, there were a lot of coaches who were getting hired. They got five. Lindy Ruff was headed into the last year of his contract. He got an extension. Ruff doesn't like those details being out there, but I don't think it was a long extension. Like, I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I, I, I don't think it was very long, and I think it might have included an option year at the end. So what I do think has happened is teams have said we're going tougher on term for these head coaches. Okay, on that, we'll take a pause. Uh, thanks to everyone who played along with the Montana's Thought Line on this episode. And once again, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. The email, 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. The voicemail, one 3232 When we come back, we'll put a wrap on the NHL's Global Series from Stockholm. Why did this one feel different? Why did this one feel bigger? Why did this one feel more important? Why did this one feel like... It really has some momentum now, this global series. That's next on 32 Thoughts. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Elliot, just wrapping things up here and putting a ribbon around the NHL's global series from Stockholm. And it concluded with... William Nylander with the overtime winner against Marc-Andre Fleury and the Minnesota Wild. Uh, William Nylander was a star attraction the entire time he was back home. Uh, great seeing his was family. Was he ever? Listen, great seeing Marco Rossi's family there, too. I don't know, that was really special. Love seeing all the ex-Swedish NHLers who were in attendance. Love to see Matt Sundin uh, with his kids dropping the puck. That was real special. Uh, the maple leaf patches with uh, with salming on them is gorgeous. Um, is it just me, or did this one seem bigger? Like we've seen the NHL Global Series before, but did this one seem to have something that the other ones didn't? And if so, what was that? I think one of the things that made a huge difference, Jeff, was just having more teams there. It seemed bigger because it was four days in a row. I, I really liked it. I know they were concerned about it. Just about is that too much to ask the fans? And and I would say the answer was no. I, I I think they, I think they really did a nice job having four days of games instead of two. Able to mix up the teams, like just some of the pictures of the players mingling with the audience, with the fans. They looked big. It looked like a big time tour. It looked like the players were having a great time, and it looked like the fans were having a great time. You know, Nylander in particular hit it out of the park. Um, you know, he went on to some Swedish show in his undershirt. Oh, I know. And yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like I, I have no idea what was happening on this show, but it looked hilarious. Like, it just looked really funny. And he looked like he was having a great time. The players had a great time. And I think one of the things in all the Nylander discourse that's, that's coming up here, I think one of the things that cannot be uh, cut out here is I believe there is a premium that should be paid to players who could seem completely unbothered by playing in Canadian markets. And Nylander, Toronto's, Toronto should look at that very carefully. This guy seems completely unbothered by a contract year in, the, in a Canadian market. And that is worth a lot. It was worth a lot for the Sedins. 
it's it's worth a lot for other players and it's going to be worth something for him and so I thought it was a great event. I thought it was a big success, and I think all the players involved in the league and the uh, and and the fans of Sweden deserve a lot of credit because, um, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. Here, one of the things that I thought about after um, watching that Toronto Minnesota game on Sunday morning was how much you know, and this is previously true of Borja Salming, and this is previously true of Matt Sundin. This is previously true of Nicholas Lidstrom. I could run down a bunch, uh, Peter Forsberg, et cetera. Um, but for the purposes of this conversation, because we've talked a lot about Nylander recently and the contract, et cetera, and we focus so much on the contract and the Toronto Maple Leafs, Nylander and that hockey team. What I, what I really wondered about was when you look at the popularity of the Maple Leafs in Sweden, a lot of it was built on, as I mentioned, Borja Salming and Matt Sundin. Um, and seeing how William Nylander was received in Sweden, how much does that player now mean to the Maple Leafs brand in Sweden? Like, I know if if, I, if you're Louis Gross, the agent for William Nylander, you're looking at this and you're saying, my client's really important for you internationally. My client's performance is really important for your brand. When did you start working for Louis Gross's Sweden? firm? I just thought of it this morning as I'm watching this. Like, all of a sudden, he's become a really important player for the Maple Leafs brand internationally. You saw he, how he was yeah, received. Yeah, I... I I don't, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. I I think it's valuable. I, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, I don't know if that means that, um, it, it, that he makes more money. I think he's already going to make a ton of money. Um, but I, I think the other thing you can argue if you're the lease is if it, if it matters to Nylander, you could say you're going to make a lot more money because you're a leaf. Um, look, like this guy, like I, I think there was a time the Leafs were trying to get this guy signed for eight and a half million. What's he going to hit now? You know, we're we're at the point now where they're probably going to him, Willie. You know, you've earned what you've earned, but we got to make this work somehow. Like, you know how I feel about all of this. And I have said this from the beginning, that Nylander is not going to take, like, Matthews is at 13.25. And yes, you can absolutely make an argument he could earn more. But Nylander's going to say, look, if he's up there, I deserve to be up somewhere close. Now it's going to be about, okay, what's a number that works for everybody? That's what they're going to get to. And I expect they're going to take a run at this again soon. I don't think there have been a, a ton of conversations recently. I think there's been one meeting maybe, but I would expect they're going to try to take a run at this again soon. I, I think now it simply becomes a conversation of what's fair that we can make this whole thing work because the kid's earned, the kid has earned what he's going to get. You know, I, I was there was one GM saying to me last week that, you know, Nylander is before there were things you could say to him or you could convince yourself, okay, we don't have to pay him top dollar. We don't have to pay him top dollar. We don't have to pay him top dollar. Well, now in his contract year, he's erasing all of those arguments. 
And I know what some people are going to say, wait till the playoffs, wait till the playoffs, wait till the playoffs. You may not be able to wait till the playoffs to make that decision. Um, he's forcing you to make it now. So I, I think that's kind of, you know, where we are. Um, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I give the kid a lot of credit. You know, the, the thing that was really special about the whole thing is that it happened over there and his whole family was there to enjoy it. Like it was, it, it was a, you know, the, the Nylanders had their Thanksgiving family weekend one week early and it was, it was spectacular for them. William Nylander concluded the NHL's Global Series, and he concludes this edition of the podcast. Uh, on behalf of Elliot and Dom, Merrick signing off. Uh, enjoy your week's worth of NHL action. We'll talk to you again on U.S. Thanksgiving, one day after Decision Day. Are we in or are we out of the playoffs? Enjoy your week. We'll talk again Friday morning.